Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You're listening to Host, Chief, and Deputy on the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast Network. All right, welcome back to Host, Chief, and Deputy. I'm your host, your chief, and your deputy, Jim Rome, out here in SoCal, welcoming in my guys, Vasily Larikos, rocking the Ravens pullover. Very cool. And my guy, the demon barber of Russell Street, Kyle Boober. How's it going? <laughs> Going to take a fax oh, now from boy. Kyle Boober. <laughs> this is not good. This is, not good. <laughs> this is great. I don't it's, know what you're it's, actually a, it's actually a zip up. It's not a pullover. Okay. Okay. Well, you put you pulled it on. Correcting Jim on. Rome. Don't eat. Get that. Get that. Get that crap out of here. Cut this Cut dude's this fine. <laughs> Coming here with that talking and talking that smack. Yeah, so we've we've opened with a Jim Rome impression. Uh, my name is Jake Luke. I am uh, your host that provided that bang on Jim Rome impression, if I do say so myself. I'm joined by Kyle Barber and Vasily Rikos, two of my uh, good buddies that we just hopped off of the flagship show Baltimore Beatdown podcast, and we have now launched into what is going to be a new show on the Baltimore Beatdown podcast network, host chief and deputy. Got to make sure you get the and in there. So, uh, gentlemen, a little bit of a word of what we're doing here, because I am, uh, you know, as much as I am in the host's driver's seat here, this is uh, very much your project. So, uh, you know, just uh, some thoughts on what we're doing here. Yeah, we, we being Vass and I, have wanted to make podcasts and create recorded content for quite a while, but both of our schedules are rather hectic. Uh, I don't have two kids, but my schedule is full that of That you know so. of. That I know of. God, no, don't even start that. Um, but yeah, our hectic schedules just kind of forced us to uh, accept that we couldn't really record much, but we've been dying to do so for months on end. And it got to a point where we wanted to do at least a quarter report every four weeks of the Ravens season, talk about the games that just finished, talk about the upcoming ones, just talk about uh, an overview of the Baltimore Ravens. Vass, what do you got to add, bud? Yeah, just uh, every quarterly as kyle said just try to give our perspective maybe some unique perspectives just to put some more some more thoughts and some more opinions into the into the mix of the ravens flock uh and uh happy to deal with you kyle looking forward to it absolutely cheers brother cheers yep and it is uh great to have you guys hopping on here and doing this because uh we love to get the audio content pumping out that is sort of my bread and butter here at baltimore beatdown or it has become that the last couple years so uh Great to have you guys joining in on that. And uh, yeah, it is the the quarterly report. It's going to be interesting doing this uh, sort of monthly, I guess you would say, maybe, you know, every four weeks going to be hopping on here and doing this. I feel almost like uh, 
Jim Halpert in the first scene of The Office sitting there doing his little performance review with Michael Scott. You guys are just kind of staring at me like <laughs> you've come to the master for guidance. So here we are. Indeed so. Well, I guess with that, you guys have anything you want to throw my way before we jump into the show proper? Big expectations this year, right? Ravens enter the season, second best odds or the best odds, depending where you look, to host hoist the Lombardi Trophy along with the Chiefs. And the first four games, some good, some bad, come out three and one. I think they're in pretty good position right now. There's a lot of good stuff to talk about. There's very few negative things to talk about. And that's what makes it so fun to cover the Ravens in 2020 and these last few seasons, and I assume for the next few. So every four-week report on this team is going to be very enjoyable and uh, got a brilliant mind on the other end here. Looking forward to being able to talk football, bud. Absolutely. So the first four weeks have been interesting. So you get a blowout win over the Cleveland Browns, probably not a stretch to say was Lamar Jackson's best passing performance of all time. The second week... Texans, we were talking on the other show about uh, how Bill O'Brien has been ousted. That's probably thanks in part to his friends from uh, old Crab Cake Land who went in there and laid a beatdown, a good old-fashioned Baltimore beatdown on the uh, the old Texans there. The Chiefs game, a little, little bit of a different vibe there. Week three, Monday Night Football. Highly anticipated game, didn't, uh, you know, really didn't live up to the billing if we're being honest, and the Ravens have themselves to blame for that, really not showing up in that game. And then uh, last week, week four, a workmanlike uh, sort of hard hat victory over the Washington football team, 31-17. So, guys, we're in an interesting spot right now through the first four weeks where this feels like a very strong team. feels like a blue-collar, ass-kicking football team, but it feels like one that maybe it's not quite firing on all the cylinders that uh, this franchise was firing on last season down the stretch uh, when they were, you know, beating the Los Angeles Rams however many touchdowns they did by and uh statement wins over the san francisco 49ers and the new england patriots just feels like there's maybe an extra gear that they have that they're not quite unlocking yet uh so let's go through these first four games so the browns game 38 to 6 massive game kind of statement win a little bit because i think the browns have proven themselves to be a nice little uh afc north contending team at the very least at three and one right now with baker mayfield looking better uh much better than he did in that first game against uh the ravens so what were you guys' thoughts coming out of that game? They, The Browns certainly do look like a contender. I think the Ravens were fortunate to catch them in week one as they were breaking in a new head coach during a weird offseason. I think that was the Ravens' best performance so far this season. And they really uh, did help pave the way or at least contribute to a potential division crown down the road. The Ravens are a nightmare to face week one because they come incredibly prepared. We see that they've been undefeated for, I believe, four straight seasons in the preseason. And their week one games these last few years have been a bludgeoning of epic proportions that we tell the tales of to this day. And this was yet another one in which the Browns suffered from a glorious beatdown at the hands of the Ravens' offense and defense. I think that they failed to capitalize on two opportunities to get the ball moving and to make this a tight game. They missed a PAT, they missed a field goal, and those failures allowed the Ravens to take a gigantic leap 
into what was the outcome of a 38 to six contest. Yeah. So it kind of looking back on it does have the feeling of sort of that tune up type of game, not having the preseason John Harbaugh didn't have that year this year. So he couldn't uh, flex his uh, try hard muscles and uh, drag his nuts all over the league throughout the preseason going 16 and 0 or whatever it is the last uh, four years. Uh, whatever that's been. So this kind of did feel like uh, that tune-up win, at least to me. Is that what you guys kind of took out of this one? Um, Pretty much, but they played well, obviously. They really held Beckham in check. Um, and the Browns ran the ball reasonably well against the Ravens last year. And I think those front seven acquisitions that the Costa made uh, were beneficial in that first game. We saw immediate dividends on them. <clears throat> I like to go back to the Browns game a lot in these last few weeks because the victory doesn't look great when it was just week one. Looking back on it, it looks excellent because the Browns have become a rushing force in the NFL this season. And for the Ravens to allow, I believe it was around 100 to 150 rushing yards and still dominate them to where they only scored six points, a single touchdown with no PAT. That's a huge statement win that you don't recognize that that week. But now when they are three and one and the only loss is to the Baltimore Ravens, it's a big deal. Odell Beckham just took a hacksaw to the Dallas Cowboys, probably his best game as a professional wide receiver. In this game, he looked like he had a 1,000-yard stare going, and there were questions about whether this guy should be traded Mike Francesa actually reporting that the Browns were looking to do that. So, yeah, I'm with you guys. I think this proved to be a much bigger win than people were, you know, sort of acknowledging at the time, maybe giving a little bit less credit to the Ravens and or a little bit uh, less credence to the win because the Ravens were playing what they thought to be an inferior team. But this has proven to be a really frisky division and uh, obviously got the Bengals coming up and we're going to see what they have to offer to the Ravens in uh, week five. But how about that second game? So 33-16. We were talking on the other show, Bill O'Brien out, going to see what happens there as far as head coach. It looks like Romeo Cornell is going to be taking over, but second game, you know, I think a lot of people predicted the Ravens go in there and uh, handle their business against the Texans after that week one game, and I think they certainly did it. Maybe some of the issues, if you want to call it that, that they're dealing with right now maybe originated in that Texans game against what was a, a little bit of a stronger front seven uh, what were you guys' thoughts after the, the Texans game, which was, I thought, a very fun one with that Mark Ingram run at the end. I thought it was uh, really, really jacked me up. So what did you guys think about this game? It was a really good game. Uh, the Ravens did, like you say, go in there and handle business. It was not as flashy as you can remember it, and it felt very similar to the Browns game in that their opponent made an early game mistake, which led to the kind of coasting effort by the Ravens uh, by game's end. And no, it, did, it, it it felt a lot closer than what it was because the score doesn't look like it's all that, you know, the score looks somewhat close. It's 33 to 16, but it also looks far apart. And I think that's kind of the story of that game is at no point was this within reach uh, necessarily for the Ravens to lose or the Texans to win, but it it just felt like a game of, almost being a spoiled Ravens fan where you think, oh, they're going to go in, they're going to score 30 points, they're going to leave. And that's really what happened. And a successful fourth and one with Mark Ingram and uh, a mix of of attack methods by the Ravens had them trotting out victoriously. What about you, Vass? 
Uh, I was satisfied by the Texans game. Houston just does not match up with the Ravens very well at all. Obviously, J.J. Watt had a pretty good game. J.J. Swatt, um, he maybe showed that Orlando Brown benefited a little bit from from Marshall Yonda, and of course, he, of course he did, right? I think it's important to remember as we just look at the first four games as a whole, the Ravens did not start out the 2019 season on fire either. Of course, they had a huge win week one against Miami. We did the similar thing against the Browns this year. But let's not forget, they lost Marshall Yonda, a Hall of Famer. They also, a few weeks before the season, lost Earl Thomas, who, at least by some opinions, is also a Hall of Famer. Uh, so they were breaking in quite a few players. They were retaining the coaching staff, but you don't necessarily expect them to jump out on fire in week one. And last year they hit their stride, the Seattle game, the New England game, the middle of the season, and then they just got on a roll. So I'm very satisfied by a 33-16 road win against a Houston team that was in the playoffs the previous season. I think that's an excellent point that you make about the absence of Marshall Yonda because this was the game, like you had said, that it was really felt. Against the Browns, you didn't really realize it. Tyree Phillips, I believe, had a decent game, or at least to the effect that it never was mentioned on broadcast that they were no longer missing their Hall of Fame right guard. This game, you could feel that something was different. You could feel that there wasn't that there was a lack of success off the right side where in seasons past it was the the go-to play was run behind 73 on two break that was the call and it's mm -hmm. no longer that easy you know and uh it's weird to have a game-breaking guard in the nfl but that's essentially what marshall yonda was he was going to get you yards one way or another and it's very uh infrequent to stop him or stop a play successfully from that right edge. This is the, this is the game that you could tell the offense was different and they couldn't simply bully on the right edge like they had done in, in the season prior. So I guess this would be the halfway point of what we're talking about here through two games. How do you guys feel about this offensive line? I feel okay about the offensive line. Let's not forget the four teams that the Ravens have played so far all have very good defensive lines. And we noted that going into the regular season and even looking at the next four games, not to get ahead of ourselves, but there are another th at least three of those teams you would be considered above average defensive lines. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand that everything has to be taken in context to the level of competition. Yep, that's where I agree. You looked at the schedule and you went, the Browns have X player. The Texans have X player. The Chiefs have X player. And... The Washington football team also does. And that really was how I kind of approached this season is that this is going to be a tough season because everybody's coming for them and everybody knows the Ravens are going to focus on running and they're going to try and exploit, exploit any weakness that they can find. And when you can see a matchup of a strong defensive line that you possess against an offensive line that's absent a successful guard like Yonda and they're trying to shift things around and, and navigate through a season. That's that's where uh, this all went to. And just like Vass said, they were all above average. They are facing three more that appear to be uh, in the top 16 for defensive lines. And 
it's going to be yet another four games to test whether this team has the medal to, to stand and fight with any NFL team. Yeah, speaking of medal, they certainly did not have it in week three against uh, the fighting Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, a game that, like I mentioned, a lot of hype going into it, really did not play out like that. And the Chiefs, I think, showed themselves to be the more superior team, the best team in the league by far. Uh, I still think the Ravens are very good to this day and uh, probably among the top three or four teams in the league. But the Chiefs just came to play and the Ravens didn't. And I think if that game is played 10 times out of, or, you know, 10 times, the Ravens are probably competitive and way more than uh, uh, the ones that they looked, you know, in this case. But what did, what were your guys' thoughts coming out of this one? Because I know this was a uh, particularly tough, tough week uh, to be a Ravens fan following such a letdown on the big stage. It was a, the build as the game of the year. And it clearly wasn't. The Ravens just, they were whipped. They were outcoached on both sides of the ball. And they were exposed on both sides of the ball to some extent. And this was a fear that I had coming into the season. We were talking about it all season in the Slack chat. I didn't think that Eric DaCosta built this team to beat the Chiefs. I think he built this team to beat the tech, the Titans. And I thought that was a mistake because the Chiefs are the best team in the league. And the Ravens are still one of the five best teams, certainly, in the league, if not top three or top two or whatever you want to say. We'll find out more in the upcoming weeks. But the Chiefs put the Ravens in a hole, an early hole. And they still haven't proven that they're able to crawl their way out of an early hole. And that's not good. Contenders need to be able to do to win different ways, to overcome any type of game script. And they don't have the weapons, in my opinion, to do so right now. And we'll get into that more, I believe, in a later segment. Uh, But the the Chiefs are looking down on everybody else right now. I don't think there's any question about that. Got to agree with you there, uh, at least somewhat. I think the defense was built to defeat the Chiefs by – signing two pass rushers at interior, which was Derek Wolf and Calais Campbell. That was a move that I felt wasn't specifically designed to only defeat the Titans and their rushing defense, well, their rushing offense, excuse me. Uh, they did keep Brandon Williams. They drafted two defensive tackles, both of which looked to be more run-stop heavy. Uh, Justin Madbeke has pass rush techniques, but he was mainly a uh, run-stuffer in, in what you could assume, and especially when you're getting trained behind the likes of Brandon and Calais and, and the matter. Uh, they kept Matt Judon, and at the time they had Earl Thomas. That defense appeared to be capable of thwarting a KC offense or stopping them as much as you can because that offense feels like a time bomb and it's never going to last 60 minutes. You got to get up on the score. But the Tom, offense – go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I love the deference the, by, between you two. It's very respectful. Thank you for that. <laughs> the uh, offense was most certainly built to defeat – the Titans and do the same game that they've been doing for 16 games prior, which is run heavy and their greatest failure in the draft. And I know Vass said it or well, would have said it before me if he knew I was going to this is that JK Dobbins was picked in the second round. I could have accepted Pat. I accepted that Patrick queen was drafted in the first good pick. 
decent value. And uh, at 28 overall, I think that's just where you have to go uh, with with who is remaining on the board. The problem is you drafted a second round running back, and that is not a horse. And I, I like the term horses, and I like how Vass has been using it in this chat and, and talking about it. Uh, but the Ravens don't have the horses to keep up. You don't have the speed, the power, the strength, and the agility to match up against a KC offense because no, you're not just matching up defense versus offense. You're matching up two scoring machines. And when you don't have the horses to defeat the other, you can't expect to win, especially with a scared coaching staff. Um, going into that game, I think a lot of fans were Ravens fans were confident because of the way the Chiefs had played the previous week against the Chargers. The Chargers have always played them tough, but not only that, you could clearly tell from the first quarter, Andy Reid had this game circled. He said, we're going to win this game. I'm pulling out all the stops. I'm going to the back of the playbook because this may decide who has the one seed and the only buy in the playoffs. And when Errol Thomas was released, we don't have to go into that. It seemed like that decision had to be made. It was a big deal, and it probably wasn't a big deal against 30 teams in the NFL, but against mm -hmm. this team, it was a big deal because not only do you have Watkins and Hill and Hardman and Robinson, but you have Kelsey. So the Ravens can have four excellent corners before Tavon got injured, obviously, or still three excellent corners. You can lock down their three receivers, and Kelsey's still going to kill you in the middle of the field. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but it's a tough spot as far as the Dobbins pick, that's the problem. The Ravens currently have still have one of the most efficient rushing offenses in the league. They're not at the historic level they were last year. They're not even at the historic level they were in the back end of the 18th season when Lamar took over. But their rushing offense <clears throat> is more efficient than half of the passing offenses in the league, which is incredible, which is impressive but you're still less efficient than half of the passing offenses in the league. And that's what you need when you need to catch up. And as far as the Queens pick and Campbell and Wolf, I just, I'm not sure that those are the impact players you need against Mahomes. He's a, he's a freak. He is elite in every way. And Maybe they would have been better off with the T. Higgins, for, for instance, who we were just talking about. There was a lot of players picked in that range. The Ravens entered the draft with three top 55 picks, if I remember correctly, including the Hayden Hurst trade. They left the top 55 picks with an inside linebacker and a running back. And I don't think that's the way you beat Kansas City, especially when you already had a bunch of running backs and you had an awesome defense last year with scrap heap inside linebackers yeah absolutely i like that term horse too i think that's actually what the girls at the zeta house called uh boss back in his day at college park but i guess that takes us to where we're at now with uh i guess that's <laughs> i try i try to like just roll through <laughs> this is a spicy one <laughs> yeah I, I try i try to roll through those as easy i can't dispute that, I can't dispute that. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's what we wanted to hear. Oh, um, man. All right. All right. Move it along. Move it along before we lose it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're losing it. But I guess that, you know, they lost it in week three. And uh, a lot of doubt was sown. And they're still dealing with that doubt to a certain extent. Because in week four, they went to Washington. They got the win. They did what they had to do. You know, kind of a lukewarm, workmanlike win. I think uh, I was maybe a little more impressed by it than some other uh, people on Ravens Flock Twitter. Uh, but, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion. I think there are still certainly some concerns. But, uh, you know, here we are now. Where do you guys, where are you guys heads at after that win in week four that we just saw? The Washington game felt like a very boring, almost preseason-like football win. They went into there with two pages of playbook, and they just wanted to try out a little bit of new things. But for the most part, it was very just blasé, not doing a whole lot, nothing unique, because the week prior is when you had to be unique. That's that's the game that Reed had circled, and I guarantee you Harbaugh and the Ravens coaching staff also did have circled. And once you do a hardcore, explosive, unique, trickeration kind of game, you got to come back, especially with a lesser opponent and a team that you're nearly – 100% confident in defeating with who they have at quarterback and who they're lacking just as a as a as a franchise and as a team on the roster and the depth chart. They knew they were going to win that game and they acted like it and not in a cocky manner, but just we're going to take care of business. We're going to win this game. They were favored by 14. They hit they, they hit it on a push. They scored exactly 14 more and they did so even by having a a little bit of a poor performance from Miles Boykin. I'm going to I'm going to cite him and then RG3 was on the field in the fourth quarter and his throw was an interception. So even with all that, it was a boring takeaway game that they knew they were going to get the 1-0 on and walk away from. The Ravens were in complete control of the game. I understand that maybe some fans one of the Ravens to win by 50 points after laying an egg on Monday night. But anytime your backup quarterback's on the field, you know you've dominated the opponent. Um, you know, what hard uh, McLaurin hit a long play on Khalil Dorsey in his first. I mean, you can't hold that against him. Solid win. Uh, you know, that the score wasn't uh, by 30 point margin doesn't bother me at all. They do need to work with some things, certainly. The running game's not clicking. The pass defense is maybe allowing a little bit more than you'd like to see. I thought it was interesting in the Washington game, my daughter calls them the pizzas, by the way, because they don't have a logo, and their their midfield looks like a pizza, which is really funny because my best friend and her godfather lives in Bethesda, and he loved it when I told him that the team name's now the pizzas. But uh, We got to get you uh, in touch with uh, Dan Snyder today potentially discuss this because I, th I think that's a winning idea. The Washington pizzas. That's yeah. what she said. The, okay. the, the midfield. Maybe that'll be Washington. enough to get them the Lido pizza partnership, even though they're uh, with the Ravens right now, because Lido <laughs> pizza is like more of a Southern Maryland thing, which is kind of a funny thing. Just like Wawa partnering with the Ravens pissed off all the Philly people. It's the best. <laughs> right. Right. Lido. They, they don't cut corners. You know, they don't cut corners at Lido. But uh, I thought it was interesting that Wink laid back a little bit more. It didn't blitz so much which coming off the KC game when he blitzed a ton and got burned for it. And then New England played KC, and they didn't blitz very much at all. So uh, I don't want to make this all about KC. I'm just saying that may be a trend to watch for with Wink. Is he going to lay back a little bit more? Because the pass rush 
was pretty successful. And I don't think the pass rush is the biggest problem. I really don't. I think it's been decent. I think Judon has just missed on a few. And he just put up two. And Bowser has two. And they're doing okay. Do you think that was a huge learning moment for Don Martindale and the Ravens defense that just blitzing is is not going to be the way that they win like they've done previously? I think you can blitz, but the key is getting out to a lead. I mean, it's not rocket science. What did they do last year? They dominated everybody in the first quarter. By the middle of the second quarter, they were up by two touchdowns or more. And then they just went to town and rolled their sleeves up and ran the ball for 10-minute drives and got three and outs and turnovers and pick sixes and forced fumbles and blitzed like crazy on defense. But it's a different animal when you're in a close game, and it's definitely a different animal when you're trailing. I think there's a weird thought process that goes through. This is all also apparent with fourth downs, that when you go for it and it looks crazy and you get it, you look like a genius. And if not, you look like a failure. But I think this is a situation that's not the same as that. I think that when you're blitzing the best quarterback possibly to ever play in the NFL and the blitzes aren't working and getting them isn't working. And like you said, the situation is completely different. You are down. You're not even equal with them or you're not even up on the scoreboard and that you're still in pursuit. You look like you're chasing something. And that's not what you want your defense to be. They're on their heels, their backs against the wall, and they're still panicking. They're panic-ridden, trying to just get after the quarterback because we have to get to this or else it's not going to work. And it didn't work. And I, I think, like you said, they didn't blitz nearly as much. And this is comparing Dwayne Haskins and the, and the Washington football team to the Chiefs. But I think he realized, like, we got to see what our players can do without sending the house every play. I think this is something that we're going to look at in the next quarter report. And I'm looking forward to seeing whether or not Martindale has cooled on the blitzing or if the game scenarios have changed enough to where he is more cognizant of what's necessary as play calls going down the road. Right. And, you know, it's a time and a place for it, right? Now, Pittsburgh, the Ravens led the league in blitzing the last two years in a row. So far this year, Pittsburgh's leading the league in blitzing, and they already had good pass rushers that could get to the quarterback without blitzing, but now they're up maybe, I think, last time I saw it, a higher percentage than even the Ravens were last year, which was like the highest percentage in the history of football. Mm-hmm. But there's a time and a place for it. Some games you're going to want to blitz more than others. I just don't think you want to do the same thing all the time. And I know they're unique blitzes and they're dropping different guys. They're confusing the quarterback. But sometimes playing back in a zone is more effective. Yeah, completely agree. We've seen what the Patriots did and and how they were successful. And they weren't sending four. They weren't sending more than four too frequently. And if not for having Cam Newton out with COVID, there's a possibility that that game goes a different way and uh, the Chiefs finally take an L. But that's what uh, I know we spent most of Washington talking about the Chiefs, but it was more just a contrast of it. And uh, overall, the Washington football game was a blase game and a wound healing matchup to get back on the right track and score yet another 30 points surviving events you know anytime they win especially on the road they can win by one point against the worst team in the league 
a win is a win is a win. It's, you know, just stack them up. Stack W's on W's on W's. At the end of the season, hit your stride. Mm-hmm. Felt like a Tuesday after a long weekend. You know, the Monday is usually pretty bad, but then the Tuesday, you, you know, you go for a run, you get the juices pumping, you, you have some cucumber water, maybe a, a bowl from Chipotle. You're starting to feel a little bit better. So that's kind of what that felt like for me, at least. Uh, jumping into the next four games, a little bit of an outlook moving forward for this next quarter that you gentlemen are going to be covering. So coming up, we have the artists formerly known as the Cincinnati Bungles at one in two, one, two and one coming into Baltimore. So that is going to be the first game we're taking a look at here. We took a look at it uh, in the last hour. What do you guys, uh, overall, just general net-net thoughts on this one heading into it? Yeah, kind of kind of speed through these next four. Um, I see the Bengals game as another tune-up game to get the offense and the defense right. I talked about it on the Baltimore Beatdown flagship podcast and said that this is going to be a game where they hopefully, and I expect to see them all firing on all cylinders and making the stretch for this uh, matchup post bye week. I know that's not until after the Eagles game, but this is where they're going to try and get things going, and they're going to be able to build off of it before the next big challenge on the on the uh, schedule awaits them. Yeah, big game. You have to take care of business in the division. I think they will. We'll see. I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk, but I think the Ravens will get the uh, division W for sure. No doubt. So, week after that, you have the Cincinnati or the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Almost called them the Cincinnati Eagles. They're kind of playing like the Bengals typically play, which is not a uh, norm for this proud Eagles organization that has been uh, pretty good under Howie Roseman in the last couple of years. They're coming in one, two, and one as well. Or I should say, the Ravens are going in there with this being an away game. So, what are your guys' overall thoughts on that one? The Eagles don't look any more terrifying than any of the other. NFC East teams. They, I believe Washington lost that game and still sat at either first or second in the division after getting clobbered by the Ravens. Uh, that's really a testament to just how poor that entire division is. And the Eagles are no different. Carson Wentz no longer even appears in the same breath as his former MVP possibility self that we witnessed so many years ago. That's been so far long gone, and he looks to still have these poor tendencies, and I don't know if it's Doug Peterson not building on anything, if they're going through a transition, but this looks like another W, and they're going to walk into the bye week in week seven following this matchup at uh, at like five and one. I don't see anything else occurring here. Agreed. Philly, this game looked a lot scarier on paper in the offseason when the schedule came out, but Philly has just been decimated on the offensive line. They don't have any receivers. Everybody's hurt. Jeffrey's hurt. Jackson's hurt. Rager's hurt. I think they lost three out of their five linemen, if I remember correctly. And Wentz has regressed. I mean, Kyle Bowler comparisons. I mean, it's not good right now. And then Peterson, to to play for the tie against the Bengals. I mean, what kind of coach does that? So I expect a much easier win in, in week six than I previously did before the season started. Yeah, that was my projection was this was going to be a tough game. And now it, it's looking like these next two weeks are going to be this tune-up for a bye week, which is strange and a little bit frustrating that the Ravens now have a week seven bye instead of week eight uh, for the whole uh, Titans-Steelers uh, problems. But 
this is the I think these are two weeks that they hope they they get the spooling of the engine going and they can and they can launch it on uh, on the Steelers after they get their offense clicking after they get their defense clicking because they're facing off against two porous offensive lines with the Bengals and the Eagles and if you can get those guys ramped up you can get them those sacks and bunches maybe they can bring it to a, a, a formidable opponent which are the as of right now uh division leading Pittsburgh Steelers at three and0 uh I think the buy switcheroo works in the Ravens favor in a way because Pittsburgh had their buy so early and then the Ravens have the buy the week right before to have an extra week to prepare for their arch rivals while Pittsburgh's you know by the end of the season they're gonna have a long time but is that a hundred percent concrete set in stone or what if now Tennessee's forfeiting games and then everything reverts back to how it was. Is that a possibility still or no? I mean, we have no idea at this point what is concrete and what is not. But as it stands, the Ravens will face off with the Steelers in week eight and the week seven bye is their bye now, I believe. Well, I, I hope so. But let's dig into this game because it's probably the defining game of the next quarter. Um, Pittsburgh... They're playing pretty well. I mean, not necessarily blowing the doors off of people. We know they have a good defense. They have a good front. They have good linebackers. Their secondary might be a little bit overrated, but I think they're still capable. The offense has played better than I thought in some ways. Ben hasn't been throwing up as many picks as he did in 2018 when everyone was so excited that he – led the league in receiving yards and didn't worry about the fact that he led the league in interceptions. And their offensive line really aged uh, the last few years. DeCastro's missed a couple games, their best lineman. Um, Connor, you know, the lineup, et cetera. But they have some young receivers, especially Deontay Johnson, stepping up. I think it's going to be a tough game. I think it's going to be a defensive struggle. I expect the Ravens to pull it off in the end. And I think the fact that they do have superior cornerbacks will eventually be the difference in that uh, arch-rival slugfest. I just can't help but think that the Steelers are a little bit overrated for the fact that it was a 26-21 victory over the Broncos. And the Broncos are all across the board uh, fending off the, the Jets for the most injured NFL team this season. And for them to still have a have an outside shot of winning that game, really makes me feel like there's this this is this game's going to be competitive. There's no doubt about that. I completely agree with you. It's the Steelers and the Ravens, but to be so close in a Broncos matchup in Week Two just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, they 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 are a little overrated, and like you said that. Offensive line is aged, and Ben is still slinging it rather well this season, but overall, just not as scared of them. But I'm more scared of just it's the Steelers matchup. I'm not as fearful of the players on that. I'm fearful of it's always a Steelers-Ravens three-point game, it feels like. Listen, you throw away the records when these two teams meet. <laughs> no love lost, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it. I mean, the fact that this is a home game off a bye – Gives me some confidence. The Thanksgiving game on a short week in Pittsburgh. Maybe they end up splitting this year. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I think the teams are 
relatively evenly matched. And Harbaugh kind of owns Tomlin lately. The first half of their tenures, um, Tomlin kind of owned Harbaugh. And the fact that the Ravens went into, or I'm sorry, it was a home game, but hosted Pittsburgh week 17 with Pittsburgh season on the line, no Lamar, no Yonda, and they rested quite a few guys and just beat the hell out of them. And I think I think the Ravens have what it takes. I think they have the matchups, and I think they have the schemes to take care of Pittsburgh in this game. Yeah, I mean, I got to agree there. I'm confident in this game just because I know what the Ravens are built for, and they're built to play against a team like this. Cool. So I guess that is all we have on the next four games outlook, unless you guys got no Indy, Indy. Right. Yep. You you caught me in a, a little bit of a mistake there. So thanks for that. So <laughs> we forgive you, host. Indy. So Voss, the uh, the Colts, the Ravens are going to be playing against the Colts here, uh, and I know the Colts are just a team that uh, it's always a fascinating matchup when the Ravens and the Colts play. Voss. So what do you think about this game against the uh, the Colts, Voss? I'm sorry. I'm just. I was just looking down on my phone and realizing my lone wolf pick, Chicago Bears, just took the lead against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Cordarell Patterson but, uh, almost Indy. broke a. Uh, <clears throat> Indy. Cordarell Patterson almost broke a big return. It would have been even bigger. By the way. Okay, we'll have to check it out later. So, Indy, um, solid team, well coached. Frank Reich, former Terp, uh, playing well, playing well. They lost a running back, which is probably a favorite, a favorite to them because Taylor's been playing well. They have, they've had a lot of injuries too. One of the best offensive lines in the league, if not the very best this year, added Buckner to the defensive line. Um, and what was the corner? And Xavier Rhodes to corner, which are two playmakers. Rhodes is having a resurgent season. At the end of the day, I'm going to predict another Ravens win. They're probably going to win, lose one of these four games. But just looking at it on paper, I don't think Indy has the playmakers. And I think Rivers is too turnover prone to escape this game unscathed against the Ravens. So I predict. The Ravens will win this game as well. They'll probably lose one of the four, like I said, but I think the Ravens match up pretty well against Indy right now. I'll agree that they match up pretty well. Two things that stick out to me, though, are that the Colts are first in interceptions right now. They've picked off uh, seven. Ravens only only have two. Uh, that's just a that they, they capitalize. They are huge in the takeaway game and interceptions. And they also have 10 sacks on the season. Ravens have nine. So they're making the most of their opportunities. And that's a little bit scary. What doesn't make me worry is their time of possession is 31st in the NFL, which means they aren't capable of sustaining too many drives. And they're being very fortunate to score and make plays off of those turnovers because they get the ball in a short field. That's, somewhat penalizing them for being successful uh, on on the defensive side of things and scoring quick means that they're taking care of business in the red zone. But overall, uh, I don't know what happened to T.Y. Hilton. Haven't heard much out He's of done. him. He's done. Yeah. And it's just... Pittman's hurt. Uh, Campbell's hurt. I mean, Zach Pascal is like their best receiver right now. Yeah. And so they, like you said, they probably don't have the the artillery for Phillip rivers to really make this more of a game. And if the Ravens uh, 
keep the players that they have healthy, uh, it's really tough for him to be able to be successful. Decent team. They're three and one, and that's not by happenstance. That's because they're playing really well. And overall, uh, it'll be a good game. But yeah, I think the Ravens take the edge here. It could be one of those weird games, though, that is a dark horse trap game that uh, Phillip Rivers just plays out of his mind and the Ravens just can't seem to find their groove after fighting off a a great uh, great Steelers matchup, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, Indy's one of the harder games on the schedule, I'd say. They're a very solid team. I just think they're more of a B-plus level team. They don't really have that that A-level really true, true dog contender quite yeah. yet. I think that makes a lot of sense. Can you imagine the chaos that was the offensive meetings with Philip Rivers on Zoom with his 50 kids running around in the background <laughs> trying to develop chemistry with his wide receivers? Like that, Yeah, he has a full classroom in his in his house at all times. That sounds horrible. You got to think so. All right, boys. send my kids there. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> Though, yeah, he'll teach them how to throw a fucking shot put ball, but moving on. <laughs> Quarter poll winners and losers. So let's give me some winners on offense and defense. Voss, we'll start with you. Um, so it's all the expectations game, right? Mm-hmm. Lamar's been good, not great. He's had some great moments and missed some deep throws. Hollywood's made some big plays. He's also yet to score a touchdown. Hasn't quite had that breakout quarter of this first you know quarter of the season that we expected. I think he's going to get there later on. Andrews as well. Um, and then even the offensive tackles. Those are probably the five best offensive players. Andrews had a couple drops. Stanley missed the game. Uh, wasn't quite – let's be honest. The offensive tackles benefit from the scheme more than probably any position on the team. So I'm going a little bit deeper down the depth chart to find my winners. I'm going to start with Gus Edwards. Uh, potential trade fodder cut candidate in some people's minds after Dobbins was drafted. He's pretty much the lead back at this point. He's getting more rushes the last couple weeks. The man is just extremely efficient um, and a heck of a player and probably the best running back on the Ravens right now. So I'll, I'll do one, then you do one, Kyle, and then we'll go back and forth if you want. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Gus Edwards was on my winner's list, uh, but I – had to put Mark Andrews on here as people are going to only point to that KC game and criticize him. And he deserves the criticism for that game. I fully believe he played incredibly poor and he had that weird, mysterious game of dropsies that we've seen out of him every once every year. And that's unfortunately it was against a, a significant opponent, but outside of that, he has four touchdowns scored. He has been a Lamar Jackson target, and he's made great catches, and some of them are tough, and others have been gimmies. But regardless, he has four receiving touchdowns this season, and he's been everything that you would hope to have from a tight end four games into a season. That's a fair point. That's I, I can't dispute that too much. Next on my winner's list is Bradley Bozeman, the Ravens' third-best offensive lineman. And... Not too long ago, some people were thinking that he may be relegated to the bench, and he's really come on strong. He was out in front of Lamar's 50-yard touchdown uh, last week. Um, 
He just really turned into, developed into a rock-solid player. Former six-round pick. He's now the Ravens' third-best offensive lineman. He hasn't necessarily had an easy go of it. Next to Skura, who I think everyone would agree has been hindered by his surgery, and he came back early, which we're, we're, we're proud of Matt for being able to do that, but he's not playing up to that level. But Brad has, so I think he's a winner so far. I think that's fair to say. Um, I'm going to go and flip it to the opposite side of that position because, like you said, it's all relative to what you consider to be um, a winner, and it's it's all relative. And for that reason, I have Tyree Phillips as a winner. Uh, he had a couple good games. He's had one that was pretty poor, uh, especially when you're facing off against uh, J.J. Watt. That tends to happen. And even still, they bounced back in the second half of that game and finished with over 200 rushing yards against the Houston Texans. But as a rookie, to come in and beat out D.J. Fluker, who a lot of people had pegged as the starter, and to then hold tight for four straight games as the uh, as a starter at right guard after Marshall Yonder retired, I think that's a, that's a W right there. I think he's a winner there. Yeah, future is promising for for Phillips. My final offensive winner, I, I'm cheating a little bit here, but I had very high expectations for the offense and not quite maybe as many players have met those expectations, but I'm going to go with Devin DuVernay, maybe a little bit of a projection because I think he's going to have a big second half of the season, but uh, he's also – Ran back the only return touchdown of the season since we don't have a special teams category. I have to give a nod to the special teams play from my man Kyle, Devin DuVernay. I think he's been a winner so far. I can't I can't help but agree with that, of course. Uh, yeah, like you said, the only kick return touchdown of 2020. Kid looks great. He's fast, and he's, he's chock full of potential. It's all about unleashing it and creating production. I do have to add on that that like pretty much any time he ever makes a play, and including when he got drafted, McConaughey tweets about him. So he's a winner in my book. <laughs> Long home. All right. All right. My final winner. I went with Nick Boyle because he got a touchdown. He got his third of his career, and he's been a big blocker that the Ravens have relied upon. And we all know that stats are gaudy and fun to look at, but we always appreciate the grinders, the guys that get in there and and uh, make the workload a little easier for Lamar and for the running game. And I think Nick Boyle deserves to be on this quarter pole winners. Cool. So I guess fair, that is – you got any anything else on winners there, Mr. Voss? I do not. So I guess let's shift into the negative a little bit, shift gears. Who are you guys losers through four games? Should we do defense winners? Or you want to go? Go ahead. Oh, dude. Offense losers? That's fine. Whatever you want to do. All right. We'll do uh, losers, though. We'll do all. They're just disappointing. Yes. See, and that's something that I write. Do you, do you just kidding. Losers? Is I'm that why you're doing that? I'm just kidding, man. I'm just kidding. I'm just okay. kidding. <laughs> I mean, losers. Because players have responded to this. That's why I say it like that. I did It's it like the parents time. when they're not mad, they're just disappointed. Like, you're not a loser. We're just disappointed. Disappointers. <laughs> it's 2020. We have to speak. speak I got DM'd, man. I got DM'd by a player when I said winners and losers of a training camp practice. And uh, I remember that. I was there. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I don't know this. That, I don't know if I know this story. You might have told it to me a long time ago. Yeah. So uh, it was the first day of, of training camp a couple years back. 
and I put a winners and losers of the first or second practice report. And I even wrote X player played really good, but another player at his position also played really good. So there might be a challenge here. And for no other reason than that, is he in this category? I even, I think I even said he's not really a loser. It's just that he's going to have stronger competition. Uh, and they're going to be fending for this on the defense. Is, is That's the only hint I'll give. He played cornerback, if yeah, I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, 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 I think yeah, I know yeah. who this is. Is this a, a player that you've got had some other back and forths with uh, on on the, uh, the socials? I think so. I think so. It might have been. But overall, um, I tried to point out what I meant by that and uh, and uh, and he just criticized me and then I got blocked and and yeah <laughs> yep. that's it's a figure it's a figure of speech come on these guys are all in the NFL I don't think did, did I get it right it. did I get it right yeah you absolutely got it right. I do it I do it oh yep. god and so, uh, <laughs> and so yeah they criticized me and uh, and so that's why I put on my MVP winners losers article so like they're not wit losers they just had a poor game every player has that so that's what that's why I respond that way. Soft but, millennial players. How about you learn to take some criticism for once? This person has always been that way, according to uh, according to unnamed sources. I get to use that and actually mean it for once. That's pretty fun. I've been told by some other reporters and other people that this person is a little grumpy about thin skin. Yes. All right. So in more ways than one. Quarter pull disappointments or losers on offense. Uh, my first one is going to be. Patrick McCarry, and it's because he did not beat out Matt Skura for that job. Skura. I thought he was a better center than Skura before the injury, and especially after. Like He looked great in that role. A lot of that could have been Marshall Yonda, though, and being able to be helped by that and the scheme. So maybe that's it. But I had expectations of him being on the starting roster at center or right guard. I really thought he fit those roles really well. And for him to not be there, uh, I was disappointed. Uh, Kari had a tough go in the playoffs. I will, I will say that mm-hmm. offensive losers. I'm going to say the other three tailbacks all together with Gus kind of taking the reins, even just a little bit. Ingram looks like he hit that 30-year-old running back wall to some extent. He doesn't quite have that. Just not getting very many chunk plays last season. First game, he's running over guys for 40-yard, you know, dropping shoulders and making plays in the passing game. What do you have, five, four, five, six receiving touchdowns last season? Um, Justice Hill, a player I had high hopes for, expectations for after the Ravens drafted him. He was a relatively high draft pick for at that position, has not seen the field very much. He was injured. I think he played a little bit of special teams, hasn't seen the rock a whole lot. And then J.K. Dobbins, still early, obviously, very early. Harbaugh doesn't usually throw rookies into the fire. I guess uh, Phillips is an exception, but hasn't quite brought the playmaking Everyone in training camp and practices, and they're like, look at this guy. He's going to be amazing. He was uh, billed as a player that was maybe going to make a few more plays than he has so far this season. Yes. Uh, First off, yeah, you were right with Ingram. He had five receiving touchdowns last year, and he's not nearly on that pace this season. Uh, My 
agreement with you to an extent as J.K. Dobbins. I'm disappointed in him, um, and that's probably because of the Ravens' scheme. So a lot of it is not on him. But like you said, the Ravens brass and coaching staff said that he has a role in this offense, and he looks great, and they couldn't believe that he was still there in the second round. They couldn't believe it. They had to pick him. Eric DaCosta said he had to pick him. Why is he not on the field then? And that's a huge issue. And I don't necessarily think it's JK's fault. I bet it's a lot of being withheld. And maybe he's going to do this second half of the season uh, burst where Ingram's probably going to slow down because he's still getting the lead carries. And maybe they want to have a fresh back to surprise people in the back half of the season. That feels a lot like 4D chess, and that's not really real, is it? <laughs> so that's where I have him. I mean, Ingram's the second highest paid offensive player on the team behind Stanley. Yikes. Um, and Dobbins is just a jack of all trades, master of none type of guy. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't, it's not an indictment on his career, obviously. He's a good player, he's the second running back on my board. But you have UDFA running backs outproducing him right now, and it's just a matter of opportunity. And you're not going to have two and three running backs on the field. Obviously not three, obviously not four, and very rarely two. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the problem. It's just a very crowded position group. Um, another offensive loser of mine is Miles Boykin. I think a lot of folks were hoping and expecting – a jump, some type of sign that he could be a number two or even number three wide receiver. The production just has not been there. He's getting plenty of snaps. He was leading the receivers in snaps, um, and he's a great blocker, but I think they need a little bit more receiving production out of that position. Completely agree. That was my next person on my list as well. Uh, this season, he has only 100 yards and 10 receptions through four games. That's better than his production of last year because last year he ended with 309 total receiving yards and only 23 catches. So he's ahead of it from his previous year's production, but the expectations were higher. He's a big receiver. He's 6'4", he's 220 pounds. He's playing opposite of Mark Andrews and Marquise Hollywood-Brown. You'd think he'd be able to get more open. You'd think he'd be able to fight for the ball. you think these things that you expect of bigger receivers like that. And to watch that interception, Lamar's first and only interception of the season come from him maybe not getting his head around fast enough, maybe him not making the play smart enough or or the miscommunication, whatever so have you. Maybe it's not even Boykin's fault. Maybe he was supposed to run a longer route, whatever it is. I'm still disappointed that he's just not made the plays necessary. He hasn't had a game over 50 yards yet. 37, 38, 8, and 28. That's all his receiving yards were. And you got to make those plays. You got to catch the football and you got to get out there and you got to help produce in this offense because the tools are there for you. I think this is a great situation for a receiver to be in when a team does rely on a running game. It allows you to get open in the receiving game because they're cheating up a little bit. There's more stacked boxes, and Miles Boykin should be able to benefit in one-on-one situations if he's got the strength, speed, and agility that we believe he does have. Third-round pick, uh, combine superstar. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Do you think Duvernay's going to overtake him soon? Because I personally, I do. 
I think so. I think at this point, you've seen what Duvernay has in terms of speed. And if you want to talk about getting faster, getting bigger plays, what better is there to do than to load the field for full of sprinters who can catch, unlike previous seasons when the Ravens drafted with speed and zero catching ability, to where Duvernay can catch, he can make the plays. He ran 108 yards for a touchdown on a kickoff, so he might be able to catch the ball and and make a couple guys miss in terms of scoring or getting those chains moved 20, 30, and 40 yards downfield. I think it's happening. I think it makes a lot of sense. In, in an ideal situation, you have both Duvernay and Boykin stepping up. Mm-hmm. You know, you have you have a, 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 an assortment of receivers. Mm-hmm. And just thinking out loud here, but I think Jake touched on in the first show, uh, maybe Boykin on the slot. Maybe Boykin on the slot because Lamar likes to target the middle of the field. He has that big body to maybe make some contested catches. And you put both the, the, the burners on the outside, and maybe that makes some sense. Uh, that was the last offensive loser, disappointing loser I had. Uh, did you have anybody else on offense? Nope, that was my last one. I had JK, I had Makari, and Boykin. All right. You want to do defensive losers or winners next? <laughs> let's start off with uh, let's start off with uh, losers. I'll start that. Um, trying to go through it, uh, and I've debated this one off and on. Um, Patrick Queen has had a my expectations were high. I thought he was going to come in and be first year Mosley. I really thought he had that speed and he had that skill that early Mosley had that you and I have talked about, had conversations about, you know, back when his nickname was half man, half amazing. First year was his best year. First year and his second year with Daryl Smith was brilliant with Daryl Smith helping him. He didn't have to do anything in coverage and he wrecked a running game, and he was able to make interceptions because he had easy zones that he was able to defend that bullied uh, the opposition. But I think Patrick McQueen falls in my category here, and it's very it just barely clicks the you know clicks to the 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 pendulum swing in the wrong way. But he's played great, but he, he got cooked by Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Don't do it, Jake. Don't do it. I saw your face light up. Clyde Edwards. Bulging E-Lair. Yep, (laughs) E-Lair. He got got fucking cooked. And he came back, had a good game against the Washington football team, but that is Dwayne Haskins, and that's not the the Patrick Mahomes show. But he's played all right. I'm happy with it. I just I want to see more from this kid. And he's got all the tools, and I want to see more because his job should be easier with – the co- with the cornerbacks, with the front that he has, I want to see more plays out of him. Is that fair? Do you think? That's- I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I, I, I'll in defense of Queen, he's been strong as the run, and he's also been strong blitzing. Mm-hmm. To to uh, to the issues he's having is in coverage. His his. And metrics and covers are horrendous. I personally did not have huge high expectations of him coming into the season because he only started for half a season. Mm-hmm. He wasn't mostly starting for two and a half, three years at Bama. Yeah. Um, and I think 
not to go on too much of a tangent, but I think some of the reason why some of the Ravens fan base are disgruntled at the quarter poll here is because everyone hyped up this draft this draft hall to such an extent. Oh my God, you know, Queen's amazing, Dobbins is amazing. Harbaugh fist pumped after they picked Duvernay. And then you had guys in the national media saying the Ravens got such amazing value. But if you look at some of like PFF's top 20 rookies or whatever list, you know, they don't really have anybody out there quite yet. It was more of a meat and potatoes depth draft. But Queen, I didn't have on my losers list. And I really, nobody really jumps out of me on the defense. They really don't. Maybe he might have beat it, but he hasn't played. You can't hold that against him. The one guy that does is obviously Tavon Young. You know, injuries. We had it's his third year now with major injury. Unfortunately, he's probably going to end his tenure in Baltimore. His his salary cap hit doesn't make a whole lot of sense going into next year after this this litany of injuries. Um, unfortunately for him, uh, the Ravens can get out of that contract relatively easily without a whole lot of dead money. So, Tavon's the loser in my opinion. I think that's a good one. My last one on there was. Jalen Ferguson, he was beating Bowser for snaps last season. It was this big, weird back-and-forth battle. And for him to not be producing and Bowser to retake his position ahead of Ferguson, I take that as a loss there for him. That's that's a good one. I missed that one. Um, Another guy that just gets hyped up sometimes that doesn't necessarily have the talent. I I didn't like the pick when they made it, to be honest. And I'm wrong about a lot of things. I'm right about a lot of things. I'm wrong about a lot of things too. But he just – you want to have a few things coming out of college, right? Or I guess you want to have athleticism, production, and against competition, right? Yes. So he he had the production. But Mm -hmm. he didn't have the athleticism, and he didn't do it against good competition. If you have two of the three, I think you're good. But if you only have one of the three – that's a little bit early to be taking a third-round pick. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, switching over to defense. I know who you want to talk about. Go for it on your winners for defense, my friend. Marlon Humphrey, perhaps yes, the best player on the team. Loved the pick when I made it. I had him mocked to the Ravens. In the first mock draft I made that year on Baltimore Beatdown, check the tape. Not to brag. Awesome player, perhaps the best cornerback in the NFL. Certainly the best man coverage cornerback, best player on the Ravens defense. Just incredible player with the coverage ability, force fumbles, run support, blitzing, the total package, the contract they just gave him. He is worth every penny, money, very, very, very well spent. Can't agree more with that. He is... I said it on on social media, but that punch out against Juju Smith-Schuster last season after it kind of failed the first time and then he got an OT and recovered his own fumble, that wasn't this, like, fortunate playmake that, like, just comes around and he got a clutch play. It's the start of a clutch streak of games to prove that he's a playmaker and not a fortunate player with what he's done this season because he's continued to do so. And that is not an easy thing to do. I remember watching a long time ago, it was some NFL 100 or films thing. And they talked about how players that create turnovers talk about how 
when you any any player can make a tackle, any player can assist a tackle. It's about making the the next move, which is so damned hard to do, which is force a turnover, force a takeaway, take it from them, rip it from them, do whatever you can. And that's what he's done. He's been punching out the football. He's been yanking it out, stripping it from the from uh, from receivers, tight ends, what have you. He's there to make plays. He is by far one of the greatest players in the NFL. And I believe he's going to get that top 25 nomination in, in the top 100 next year for sure after what he's done in these first four games, bar none. My... My uh, my player to follow up the great Marlon Humphrey uh, <laughs> is LJ Fort. My word, what a winner he has become. Scooped up one of those Marlon Humphrey forced fumbles, took it for a touchdown. He's been playing great. I believe he's got a sack on the year. He's been buzzing. And who has had him starting or working into a role significantly after the Ravens drafted Patrick Queen in the first and Malik Harrison in the third. You thought LJ Fort was going to be relegated back to special teams duty, and yet here he is making plays week after week in 2020. I had him on my list as well. That's a great call. Been very happy with Fort, very pleased with his development. Um, He's turning into one of the, the, you know, kind of like the heart and soul guy of the defense. And the other guy that you would characterize as the heart and soul of defense, Chuck Clark, he's also on my list. A big force fumble to keep them in the Monday night game a little bit. Uh, He hasn't been exposed in coverage. He's been lining everybody up. Of course, there's been some breakdowns and some miscommunications, which uh, somebody pointed out on Twitter that uh, that's the reason why he got in a fight with little Thomas. But regardless, Chuck Clark makes my winner list. Yep, I like that one. I had him in my mid-range, where I, I didn't want to put him as a winner nor a loser, uh, kind of where Queen was, uh, but above Queen. He was going to be more uh, pointed towards the winner's list is, is what I had him as. Uh, my final one for the for the defensive winners is Tyus Bowser. I talked about him and opposite of Jalen Ferguson. He's made the most of his job. He's in a contract year. He's got two sacks already going in through the first week, first four weeks of the season. And they're facing some weaker opponents and heading into these next four games on the, on the, in terms of their offensive line. This is where he can get those sacks and bunches and cash in somewhere else. Just like we've seen countless Ravens outside linebackers make the plays in the contract year and get paid elsewhere. I don't think he's going to be able to do a whole lot of this throughout his career, but I think this is him being a winner and capitalizing with every snap he's been able to do so far. Absolutely. I had Tyus Bowser on my winner's list as well. Um, Pressure the quarterback, having that patented fourth-year outside linebacker, Ravens breakout season. And uh, my last winner, I guess it's more of an honorable mention than a full-on winner, but my man, Matthew Judon. I don't understand the amount of criticism he gets in the fan base. He's not Terrell Suggs. He never will be but he plays pretty well. He's the best pass rusher on the team. He's really the only pass rusher on the team, and that makes it harder for him to do his job. He's been getting a ton of pressures. He should have had a sack on Monday night when he timed the snap perfectly and they blew the flag. Actually, I believe that was a forced fumble, strip sack. He had two sacks last week. The fact that Wink was using him like a movable chess piece 
blitzing him up a gaps and dropping just the amount of things they do with him speaks to his versatility. And I think he's been very solid in run defense this year so far, maybe better than he was last year. I like the chess piece comparison because I see him as a Bishop and, and Don Martindale wants to use him as a Bishop and a Knight and a Rook and sometimes a pawn. And he's moving him all over the field when, just get him to get the quarterback. I like the idea of throwing him into the flats and some cover three ideas mm-hmm. just because you don't want to be so obvious in your play um, if you're if he's capable of it. Like Khalil Mack, you rush the fucking passer with. With Matt Judon, you rush the passer and you have options to make plays elsewhere because they ha- he has the athleticism to do it. Not to say that Mack doesn't because he most certainly does, but his pass rushing technique is far greater than Judon's. Uh, I had him on my cusp of winners. I like that honorable mention. Uh, my dishonorable mention was going to be Kalias Campbell slash Derek Wolf as a tandem because while Campbell has had five pass deflections and a sack, you know, he's been getting after the quarterback a little bit. He's got a tackle for loss. I'm just not impressed with what I've seen from those two. You expected this team to be a pick your poison defense with this amount of talent. You thought, oh man, they got Tyus Bowser, Matt Judon, Clayus Campbell, Derek Wolf, and even Brandon Williams in the mix. One of these guys is going to get free. This is going to be a terrifying front. And I have not seen enough out of those two to warrant the Monstars nickname of this defensive line that I've been seeing pop up on social media. That's fair. That's very fair. Campbell has played well. I mean, he caused the interception. He got a sack. It's not like he's playing poorly, but the Ravens gave up a lot more than a fifth-round pick to acquire him. They gave up, I believe, $18 million in annual salary. He's the highest-played player on the team, you know? So it needs to be a little bit more. I'm hoping for a little bit more for him. And there's three-quarters of the season. He's still figuring out the scheme. And maybe – it's a little bit of an indictment on Wink's scheme because if you have year after year and defensive line just can't generate very much pressure and you have different players coming in and out, either they're drafting the wrong players, signing the wrong players, or they're not being used properly. I think that's pretty fair. Um, I was going to look up Chris, Chris Warmly's uh, stats right here because the Ravens traded him so they could get uh, Campbell on the team. And I was wondering whether or not his sack totals or his numbers are gaudy. And maybe he's been successful in the Steelers scheme. Looking it up though, zero sacks. He's played in, um, he hasn't started any of the games. He only has one tackle. So that makes me feel a little bit better that, uh, um, somebody didn't leave and, and become a thriving piece elsewhere. I just wanted to make sure that, like you said, if these players keep coming in and out and they're not having this production, uh, it could be an indictment on his scheme because you're you're having Campbell drop in a, in a pass coverage. And it, it worked. It's working, right? It worked. <laughs> it's just unique that the sack numbers aren't going up. And Campbell has a, has a career low outside of his rookie season, obviously, of six sacks. It was way back in 2010. He had six and twice else. Excuse me. Oh, look at that. 2015, he had five sacks with Arizona. So he's on pace for only four sacks, a career low. And that's a little bit worrisome to see, but he's buzzing in the passes deflected department. He's halfway there to his career high of 10. So maybe that's an issue. That's what they're using him for. They know they can get him in the passing lanes more than they can utilizing him in getting the big gaudy sack totals. That could be it. Well, I hope he can do both going forward. Absolutely. 
Uh, let's move this on past the quarter poll losers, winners, and such. We're going to go real quick through these roster strengths and weaknesses a quarter of the way in and kind of a projection. I don't know which one you want to go for, Vass, but what do you see as the well, strength? Just overarching thoughts. We'll hit this quickly. Strength of the roster is cornerback. I don't think there's any question about it. Marlowe, Peters, Jimmy, easily the best trio in the NFL. Those three guys make wing scheme possible. Without them, you have no opportunity to do any of these exotic blitzes or anything like that until the game is well in hand. Not only that, but they give you a matchup advantage against every single team in the league. Who has the, who has the best wide receivers in the NFL? Probably Dallas, I guess, the top three. Mm-hmm. The Ravens still have the advantage against them. Yeah, I would agree with that. I say just the D, the D backs as, as a whole. I mean, no ET3, but you still have uh, Chuck Clark there as a full positive, and you have Deshaun Elliott, who's who's not been a horrible safety. I mean, he's been thrust into a position that he's been practicing for for quite a while, and he's done a decent job of it. He got cooked against uh, KC, but in that game, who didn't? I mean, let's be real. Um, so overall, I say the DBs are the strength of this roster. As for the weakness, uh, I got to say the linebackers have been somewhat weak, um, not impressed with their coverage skills. Now, yes, they've been able to make some plays, but overall coverage, I just can't get over Queen getting absolutely cooked against KC. And I'm just worried that this is going to be another Ravens team that can't tend to the middle of the field because their corners can't save them all across the board. That's where they miss Thomas. The mm-hmm. tight ends, they, they leaked against tight ends like a sieve in 2017 and 2018. Then 2019, they were great against tight ends. And now 2020, tight ends are starting to do some damage against them again. My weakness is the pass offense and more specifically the lack of weapons. I mm-hmm. think it was a major mistake to come into this regular season with Super Bowl aspirations with bottom third receiving talent. They traded away Hayden Hurst, let Seth Roberts go, picked DuVernay, who I like, and Prochet, but DuVernay was the 15th or 16th wide receiver picked in this class, and that was the hole that they had last year. Out of all the units, they were worse in pass offense. Mm -hmm. So now they continue to have this problem where they get down big because every team's going to get down big at some point early in games. You're not going to jump out to lead every single game. You don't have the weapons for it. I wrote a lengthy piece on Baltimore Beatdown saying Lamar doesn't have enough weapons to beat KC. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but give it a read. I think I made some solid points. Yeah. Bottom line, I think I love to see DaCosta make a move for a wideout to give the Ravens that final piece they need so they can win in any game script. And the man I would target, which I told Jake on Twitter not too long ago, Michael Gallup of Dallas, he's getting phased out. I think he'd probably be had for a third-round pick, and I think it's worth it, even if you only have him for two years. The windows now give up a little bit of BPA depth for once and go make a move. I think that's a brilliant play. I think that's exactly who you should try and go and target. Michael Gallup's capable of stretching the field. He's got sure hands. Uh, I didn't put wide receivers on my list because I knew you were going to be able to go after it. So I was trying <laughs> to find the second weakest because I am all about the frustrations of not having weapons in your pass catching department yes you got a tight end that's it though marquise brown needs to do more and you need to help this entire team in passing offense by getting more people on the team that are successful now the final little group that we had is our quarter season projection 
And the first question, I know our answer, but I wanted to go through it. What is your confidence in just making the playoffs? I think 90%. I mean, unless I'm not going to wood, I never want to say 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, the analytical projections I've seen are in the 80s. I have a little bit more confidence than that. Mm-hmm. So I'll go with 90 yeah, I have it at ninety to hundred. Um, I'm I'm confident. Outside of something unique occurring, this team is making the playoffs. But my big question is the last one we have for the host, chief, and deputy show, and that's going to be: What do you believe are the odds of them winning the AFC North? I give there even seventy percent odds of winning the North. Obviously, the upcoming game in a couple weeks. Against Pittsburgh is going to be pivotal. You can't drop that game at home. Pittsburgh's out to a good start. Cleveland's knocking on the door. I still think the Ravens are the cream of the crop in this division. I don't necessarily believe that they are the best team in the AFC. I don't think anybody does, but I think they are the best team in the AFC North. I think they take the division with either 12 or 13 wins. All right. So you have them at 70%. Do you give the Steelers 20, 25? What do you give the Browns? And I assume you don't have the Bengals on there at all. Um, I think I'd probably split it uh, 15-15. I don't know. Cleveland needs to get their cornerbacks healthy. If Cleveland can get their cornerbacks mm-hmm. healthy, I think they have just as good a chance as Pittsburgh. So 15-15 or 20-10 if, if they stay banged up. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about the Steelers, but I am, I believe, more nervous about the Browns because that team that the Ravens face in week one is not going to be the same team that they face going down the road. Uh, that's going to be a tougher matchup. They're going to have more of an identity. They didn't have one, and that's the, that's the worst time to play the Ravens because they're able to chew up any team that doesn't have a focus. And most teams are like that, the Ravens especially. They're going to bully you and beat you down because they have a system. They have one that works. And if you don't have the identity, they're going to, they're going to exploit it. Um, I, I do have them winning this division still. Uh, I'm a little bit more nervous, uh, and I, I've been confident all through this show, but the more that I, I, I hear about confidence in the team, the more of a worrisome individual I become. That's why I, by the end of the KC game, I was like, we're going to win, we're going to win, the Ravens are going to win. And by the time I saw KC's winning this game, KC by all the analysts, I was like, this is a, this is a fucking guaranteed loss. And <laughs> like that's how I always think. So I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, I'd say about 60% because these are going to be tough matchups against the Steelers twice. You still got the Browns another time. And maybe somebody falters. Maybe this team is is continuing on their injury list of uh, adding more and more names on there. Uh, they've been fortunate with injuries the past few years. And maybe this comes and haunts them. Uh, but overall, I'm more scared of the Browns than the Steelers. I'll end it with that for sure. Good point. Good point. Well, enjoyed doing this with you, brother. Um, Chief, I should say. Enjoyed <laughs> doing this with you, Chief. Uh, this is fun. We'll continue to check in on the you know after every quarter as the Ravens mm-hmm. continue this odyssey through the the 2020 season and the the 2020 year. I yeah, guess. for sure. This was fun. I feel like calling you deputy is a degradation. It's a weird term to call you. I don't like that. <laughs> I like so, it. It's like okay. Okay, as long as you're could. I don't want to be like, like, okay, deputy. Yeah, I just don't want to be the guy that's like, all right, deputy. Like, it's a weird (laughs) thing. It's a weird power structure. You're my friend. Appreciate you, brother. This was the very fun inaugural host, chief, and deputy. We're going to be doing this every four weeks, maybe every four games. We're not sure with this weird bye week. We had it timed pretty well, but everything's changing. But 
this has been a blast and uh thanks for doing this with me man no doubt jake thank you too brother oh am i allowed to talk now You've been allowed to talk, my friend. Don't give me that. I don't know. I think you guys' chemistry is getting a little too good. It was making me a little uncomfortable over here. It might be the, the longest <laughs> we I've buzzing. gone with a mic in front of my face without talking. We were buzzing. We were buzzing a little bit. But, yes, thank you very much to Jake, the host of Host, Chief, and Deputy. Uh, we want to do a little social media thing. Is that what we're going to push here? Yeah, so we're going to go ahead, and uh, I've am in the process of scheduling out Baltimore B-Town Podcast for tomorrow. It's going to be dropping in the AM, and then we're going to go ahead and throw you guys out in the little afternoon time slot. So for anyone, uh, you know, having the, the old lunch or doing whatever you're doing tomorrow uh, in the afternoon, give this bad boy a listen as well. Going to be cutting together a social clip for Baltimore B-Town. I'll get you guys one uh, together, too, to uh, help promote this thing. And uh, it was a lot of fun listening into you guys. I love your takes. I uh, love your smooth olive oil voices. Just really, uh, you know. Johnny get, Fontaine. Get me, yeah, Johnny Fontaine. Getting me going here on a, uh, a Thursday night. Um, hopefully things turn out a little better for y'all than it uh, did for him. Uh, but, yeah, you know, here enjoying this Thursday night football game, having a couple Peronis, you boys, uh, you know, are, are a great, uh, great listen while that's going on. So I, I got to hand it to you. Great job. Well, good. Thank you very much. Vass, what's your social media? Where can they follow you? At Vasilis Beatdown, V-A-S-I-L-I-S, Beatdown on Twitter, and obviously BaltimoreBeatdown.com for the writing. All right. Myself, Kyle Barber, is at BB underscore Kyle P. Barber. Make sure to download these episodes. Subscribe to the feed. The downloads are really helpful for paying for the producer of this show jake luke and everybody else that's on that little podcast creation for baltimore beatdown thank you all very much peace out peace